Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning to declare your worth. May our hearts join in unity and gratefulness and love and the kindness that you have shown us each and every one of us this week and throughout our lives. You have granted us the gift of the Holy Spirit to anoint us with power so that we may desire you and strive to obey your holy word. And though we are unworthy of your love and forgiveness, you sent your Son, Jesus, to bear the wrath and penalty of sin due to us. And in exchange, you declare us righteous with the righteousness that Christ has earned on our behalf. So we come this morning to ask that you may sanctify us today through your truth that's found in your word. Let us respond in faith by trusting you completely this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. God's people said, what a wonderful God. Do you believe that he loves us? If you doubt that this morning, I want to share with you, Mark is going to share with us how much he does love us. As we continue in Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, driven, tempted, and comforted. We're going to see it's the life of Christ, but also in the life of us. Last week we discovered that Jesus was baptized in order to identify with human nature, with human weakness and human sin, in order to show obedience and submission to the Father, and that by doing so the Father proclaimed Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. We ended last week by asking and answering the question of whether it was necessary for Christ to be God. We gave a threefold answer. And that only someone who is infinite God could bear the full penalty of sin. And that salvation is from the Lord, as all Scripture demonstrates, that no human being or creature could ever save men. And that only someone who was truly and fully God could be the one mediator between God and man. In today's passage, Mark now transitions from Jesus' baptism and his anointing by the Holy Spirit in the Father's public declaration that Jesus is the Son of God to more of a human endeavor in his temptation. So let's read that together. It's found in Mark chapter 1. It's on the screen if you have your Bibles. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Father, just give us wisdom. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let me speak words that are of the truth. And let us give us wisdom, discernment to know the difference between the two. Father, I pray that your spirit will now have free reign as we look at this very human problem that all of us face and we ask, how can you love us? And, and how deep is your love, Father, when many of us are struggling with temptations that seem to just drive and bury us in shame and guilt? But yet we're going to see that you loved us to the point that you yourself bore these same difficulties. Father, may we find encouragement and strength in this. And Lord, may you do your work, and may we respond 
through your Holy Spirit. We praise the name of Christ. Amen. There's a few characters as we look at it. You see the Holy Spirit's involved here. Jesus, Satan, the adversary. You see angels and wild animals. The setting is a wilderness, meaning a remote or lonely, isolated place. And I want to ask and answer some questions this morning as we just look at these two verses. Is number one, who drove Jesus into the wilderness? We need to ask that. What's the purpose of that? Who tempted Jesus? And what's the purpose behind this whole narrative and the fact that Jesus is being tempted? I'm going to try to ask and answer those this morning. First off, we see Jesus' baptism and temptation are interconnected by the word immediately. And we, Dustin, share with you, that's one of the most common words found in Mark. It's a man of action. Immediately, it seems like as soon as he was baptized, as soon as the public declaration, the Spirit drove him out. Jesus has publicly declared the Son of God and is promptly sent into the fire by the Holy Spirit to face the adversary. Uh, Satan just means adversary. In a test of wills. What we find by the phrase, the Spirit immediately drove him out, is that Christ's temptation, and this is important, is part of God's plan for reconciliation. Remember, Scripture is about God reconciling man back to himself. And God doesn't do anything without a purpose. So when we read these Scriptures, sometimes we read it and we just think, oh, it's a narrative, it's going on, it's going through. But we have to think, why is Jesus being tempted here? And why is it going through? And what we see is many times we have to remember that Satan has no power of himself. But we see that Christ's temptation has a purpose. It's all a part of God's plan. As Jesus continues to identify himself with man's failure and sin by submitting to God's plan to test Jesus. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, that being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And many times we think that's all that Jesus faced, but we have to remember that Jesus faced the very things that you and I face. He too humbled himself to allow himself to be put and tempted by Satan. Mark here identifies Satan as the tempter of Jesus. He also emphasizes that Jesus was opposed by Satan during the whole time in the wilderness when he writes he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. It seems like that 40 days, all of it was in temptation, not just three little questions and narratives. As we go through Mark's account, it's going to be interesting as we go through, we're going to see that Jesus' ministry that Mark points out that Jesus was opposed by Satan during his whole ministry, not just during this period of 40 days. 40 has a biblical significance. You'll see that number. It probably, other than the number seven, it shows up quite a bit. We find it in the life of Moses, where he was in the wilderness for 40 years. Israel is wandering in that desert for 40 years as well. Elijah, after his battle with the prophets of Baal, was put out there for 40 days. And only Mark mentions the wild beasts as far as this account, probably to describe the fierceness of Jesus' temptation experience. This was not the embassy suites or some nice hotel or just some place with an oasis. We're finding a place where it was isolated, remote, where the wild beasts roamed. Though isolated from civilization and the companion of friends and the comforts of city living, we find that Jesus is not totally alone as we see that the angels there have been ministering to Jesus during the 40 days, strengthening Him. This fulfills the Messianic promises that are found in Psalms 91, 
where the psalmist writes, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And even though he is alone, God had not left him. The angels were still ministering to him. The Spirit was still had the anointed upon him. I want to share with you three things that you and I can learn as we just observe those things. What does this tell us? What are these two verses? What can we learn from them? Well, the first thing you need to learn is that temptation serves the purposes of God. Even temptation serves the purposes of God. You've heard me say this before, that God tests us to strengthen our character and to draw us near to God. That's the the purpose of temptations and and testings. That temptation and testing is the same word, and it's usually changed by the context. And this one, we see Jesus is being tested by God to, to strengthen his character, to prove his obedience, to prove his worthiness, and to draw him closer to God, while Satan tempts us to destroy our character and to draw us away from God. So we see the purpose here of God and Satan, but here... Temptations serve the purposes of God. See, Jesus' experience was similar to Job, as God speaks highly of Job, and then yet gives him over to Satan for testing. I'd like for you to see that with me in Job. If you take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, you see very much Job has a Christ-like experience. We all know what happens to Job in the first chapter, where he loses his family, all of his goods and his animals, winds up destitute. In Job chapter 1, look at verse 6. He says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came all among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, and look at this, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth. Do you think God has given some props to Job? Yeah, he's setting him up and saying, look at here, Satan, look at this one. There's no one like him on earth. He's a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Verse 9, then Satan answered and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Of course he's okay because you keep him from any troubles and any problems. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have creased in the land. But in verse 11, here comes Satan. He says, but you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Look at verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Very similar once you understand the temptations of Jesus. Both are publicly declared by God as men of favor. Then Satan here says, well, of course, you protect them all. Give them to me. Let me see what I can do. Both wind up being tempted. And we understand and know, obviously, from the rest of Job and Jesus how that wound up. C.R.T. France, a pastor, observes that Satan operates, and this is important, I think this is interesting, and this should give us some encouragement as we go to the application, is that Satan operates despite himself within God's overall sovereignty. So temptations that you face are all within God's 
sovereignty. It was the Spirit that drove Jesus out. Why? To be tempted. When you and I face temptation, what's going on? God is testing us. Satan is trying to destroy our character while God is trying to strengthen it and draw you in. Two different purposes, but what works out at the end? Who's more powerful? God. Here's an important note I need to give you real quickly, though, and you know this. We must remember that temptation in and of itself is not sin, is it? To be tempted is not to sin. We all will face various kinds of temptation our whole life. It's part of the sanctification process. You've heard it before, Dustin, and I have this little phrase. It's sanctification, stupid. You know, all of life, temptations and testing, when it's come, it's to make us stronger and to draw us from God. So let me just ask this week, in what ways have you been tempted? In what ways have you been tempted? And let me ask you, during that tempting testing, were you drawn to God and strengthened in your character? Or were you drew away from God and was your character eroded just a little bit more? Well, if you're honest, you probably had some of one and a whole lot of others. What our goal is in the Christian life is try to switch it to where we're strengthening our character. See, we're going to have failures. There will be times that we will fall. We will struggle. Job himself struggled, and that's the whole poetic nature of Job as he just looks, and sometimes he's just struggling with what's going on with God and what's going on with him. We're here to encourage you that even temptations serve the very purposes of God in strengthening you and encouraging you and drawing you near to God. The second thing I'd like us to learn is that temptations show the humanity of Jesus. It shows the humanity. You see, Jesus is not only 100% divine, as we saw last week, but he's also 100% man. He faces the very same things that you and I face. Remember from last week, learned from Wayne Grumman in his systematic theology, when he wrote that Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. That's a hard thing for us to understand. To understand Christ's humanity is very difficult. Wayne Grumman continues to write that Jesus had human weaknesses and limitations as we see in Scripture. Jesus had a human body. So we see that he was hungry, he got thirsty, and he got tired, just like you and I. Jesus had a human mind. He, he increased in wisdom, Scripture. He did have to learn. He wasn't uh, some baby infant walking around just doing everything. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to read. He had to learn how to latch his sandals and how to do the woodworking as his father did. He had to learn all those types of things. He increased in knowledge. He increased in the things that you and I also increase in. But he also had a human soul and a human emotions. In other words, Scripture shows us that Jesus was troubled, was he not? He was troubled in his soul. We see that he was sad at the death of Lazarus. He looked on the crowd and had compassion. We also see that Jesus was angry. There's times that the Pharisees, he could use some cutting language. You brood of vipers. Oh, you whitewashed stones. Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. See, Jesus was human like us. And he had to deal with many of the same things that you and I dealt with. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 4, you could. I want to look at those three temptations. Mark doesn't give us those. But I think it's important for us to look at them as we try to understand why this is important and see the humanity 
of Christ and understand the temptations. In Matthew 4, we see the first temptation that he has. Satan comes to him, the adversary, and he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, remember, he was publicly declared, so he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And this is not rhetorical, so go ahead and shut it out. What type of thing that he was attacking there? What Jesus' mind, body, or his soul? Body, yeah. Why would he tempt him with turning stones to bread, by the way? He's hungry. He hadn't eaten 40 days. He was fasting in this part. And he says, hey, just do it. Now let me ask you, could Jesus have done that? Yeah. Would it have been wrong for Jesus to do that? In reality, there nothing really would have been wrong for Jesus to do that. He made a whole bunch of bread out of just a few. He made wine out of water. Nothing really wrong with it in and of itself, but it would have fulfilled a lust of the flesh. It would have been a shortcut to what really was going on. The next one is the devil took him up to the holy city, speaking of Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Remember, the temple where everyone would be at. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down. Climb all up there where everyone could see you and throw yourself down. Why? Because it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. What's all that about? Well, could you imagine Jesus? He's standing up all the way on the pinnacle where everyone's at, at the most uh, popular place that people are going to be. And if Jesus is up there, and he's the Son of God, and he takes a flying leap, what is God going to do? He's going to save him. Why? We know that he's heading towards the cross. So all of a sudden, you can imagine you're in the crowd, you see this man, and you're one of those guys that are saying, jump, jump, jump. You know? So he takes a swan dive off. He does a triple flip and all those other things. And just when he's ready to hit the ground, here comes these angels swooping down, to grab and pick him up, and to gently put him down on the ground. What would that have done? Would that have proven that he was the son of God? No, it would at least prove he had some mojo. He had some people in high places, some friends. Again, it would be a way in which he's saying, look at me. But what did Jesus always say to people when he healed them? And when he cast out demons, what did he always say? Did he say, go tell everybody that I'm the son of God? What did he do? Don't tell anyone. Says Jesus wasn't about to make a name for himself. And then the last one, he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And he had showed him all the, the lands and all the principalities. He says, all these I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Each one of these temptations, what they have in common is that each one of those temptations are promises to fulfill a godly desire of Jesus. Jesus had a desire to eat. It was a good desire. He had a desire to see himself ministered to by angels, because that's what they were created for, and for everyone else to see who he is. And he also has a godly desire to rule all nations. The Bible tells us that is what his design is. He is to rule. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. But what these do is so he's promising him the desires of Jesus' heart. But this is what's important. Each one of these temptations by Satan were shortcuts. 
They were shortcuts to the promises of God. God had sent His Son and promised Him these things. Satan was offering Jesus all that Jesus desired without going to the cross. Hey, listen, you don't need to go to the cross to get all these things that God gives you. I'll give them to you instead, and it won't be as dangerous, and it won't be as harmful and hurtful. There's no reason for you to go through all that. I'll give you all these things instead. Remember at the garden, Jesus prayed that this cup may pass, but not according to His will, but that of the Father's. Instead of doing that, Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. So these were desires of Jesus. They were promises of God. Satan is just offering a shortcut. Let me tell you, every temptation you face is the same thing. It's Satan offering you a shortcut to a promise that God has given you. Pastor Mark Dever writes that Satan offered Jesus a crown without a cross, but Jesus rejected it. For he had come not just to rule, but to redeem. And he could have gave him the kingdoms of the world. It was Satan's to give him, but it would not have redeemed man. The question many people will ask, well, could Jesus have sinned? Well, all you and I can do to answer that question is to affirm what scriptures affirm. First, scriptures affirm that Jesus never did sin. John chapter 8 says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. There was nothing that Jesus did. There was no thought. There was no action. There was no aspirations that never were displeasing to God. So the Bible tells us that Jesus never sinned. It also affirms that Jesus was tempted, though, with real temptations. In other words, those desires were real desires that Jesus had. The Bible tells us that Jesus was, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So was his full humanity necessary? Yes. It was necessary for representative obedience. Jesus had to be human. He had to undergo this temptation because you and I are tempted. He stood in our place. You see, Jesus was our representative, and he obeyed for us where Adam disobeyed and failed. These were the same promises, not exact in nature, but they were the same promises in respect that Satan had tempted Adam and Eve. And it was the same temptation that he offers you and I. Shortcuts to the promises of God, the desires that we have in our heart. And as also his full humanity was necessary to be a substitute sacrifice, for he could not die for the penalty of man unless he was also man. So how did Christ accomplish what man could not do then? If he couldn't have sinned, but if these temptations were real, how did Christ resist these temptations? Well, that's where we come with his divinity and his humanness. For his divinity and his humanness allowed him to resist. In James 1.13, the Bible says that God cannot be tempted with evil. So even though Satan tried, Jesus could not be tempted. Even though those desires were real to him, he could not give in to them. Even though those promises were due to Jesus, he could not have done it. See, Jesus was both human and divine. And this union prevented Jesus from sinning. Wayne Grumman observes that every temptation that Jesus faced, he faced to the end. And this is important. Listen to what he writes here. Every temptation he faced, he faced to the end. 
and he triumphed over them. The temptations were real, even though he did not give in to them. In fact, they were most real because he did not give in to them. And let me kind of give you an analogy of what he's speaking there. And you and I have faced temptations, right? And the question is, how long do you resist that temptation? For most of us, we resist the temptation until it gets too strong, and then what do we do? We give in. And then we may pray and ask forgiveness and it gets a little bit stronger, a little stronger, and maybe we're able to do it. But Wayne Grubman gives the analogy of a weightlifter. So if you can imagine that I'm a weightlifter. I know it's, it's, it may be difficult. And you imagine here is this big weight that I'm going to lift. And so everyone comes in and they lift it. Now one guy gets it here. They all lift the same amount of weight. They all feel the pressure. But after about two seconds, he can't get it up to here and he drops it. Now did he feel the weight? Then the pressure, yes. But did he bear the full weight of it? No. So another guy comes up and gets it up, same thing, and he gets it up right here, and he holds it maybe three or four seconds, goes to try to make the clean jerk, but he can't get it up, and right when he gets up to here, he drops it. Now, did he feel the full weight and pressure? To a point, he felt the weight, but he didn't stand all the pressure. But then there's that guy that comes in, probably Eastern European, picks it up, takes it all the way up, and puts it all the way over his head, and stands until the bell rings. Now what does that guy do? He just drops it. Now he bared the full weight for the allotted time. See, you and I usually don't do that. We take the temptation and, oh, that's just way too much, I'm just going to give in to it. Another one, oh, we do it a little bit longer, then we give in. But to resist the full weight of sin and temptation is to hold it up and say, I'm not giving in until that temptation goes away and it's not a problem. See, that's what victory is. And it's only Jesus who is able to do that. You and I aren't able to do that. We really don't bear the full weight. We either give in and we do a little bit better or we just find some other excuse to let go. But Jesus bears the full weight and Satan had to walk away from him. Now there may be some of us that have done that in our lives. Some of you might have been able to do that with an addiction. You might be able to do that with some other type of thing that you struggle. You've bared the full weight and it's no longer a temptation for you again. And praise God for that. For it's God who helps us to bear that weight to where it's no longer ever a problem. That's what he means, in fact, when he says the temptations were real, and even though he did not give in to them, they were most real because he did not give in to it. The third point I want to go through as we get into temptations are serve the purpose of God and they serve, show the humanity. The third thing I want to point out is that Jesus successfully Resisted Satan, leading to our adversary's defeat. Jesus successfully resisted this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 tells us, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He defeated him. Satan couldn't touch him. He defeated the works of devil. 
One wonders why Satan even tried to defeat Jesus, knowing who Jesus was. Again, Pastor Mark Dever, pastor up in Washington, D.C., he asked the question of why would proud Satan attempt to lead the Son of God into sin? Was he foolish? Did he not know that he, that he couldn't win? Could he not even anticipate that he would lose? The reason is this, up to his point, he'd been 100% successful. I mean, it was just arrogance on his part. And we need to realize is that's his attitude towards us. He's been 100% successful. He's good at destroying people's character. He's good at leading people away from Christ. He has had years of practice from our first parents and onward. In each way, his method of operation has never changed. He tempts us the same way each and every time. And you and I know that. But yet we still fall. But let me tell you that you don't have to fall. The reason why Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. Because Jesus was successful, you and I can learn from that. And that's where I want to go today is what does this mean for you and I? What does it mean to us that Jesus faced the 40 days of temptation from Satan? The first one is that we need to learn that you and I need to trust in God's sovereignty. We need to trust in God's sovereignty in testings and temptation. We need to realize that even in the strongest of temptations, that we are in the plan of God. Do you feel like it though? If you're struggling with porn or some type of addiction or some type of other thing that you struggle, do you feel like you're in God's plan? Not usually. You feel like you're far away. You feel like maybe God has abandoned you. But let me tell you, Scripture tells us they're still right in God's hands. God strengthens us. Psalms 1 tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you find yourself in various trials. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he continues that it produces the things of Christ. It's for sanctification. We need to remember the reward that Christ offers to us in James. He says, blessed is that man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood fast and stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And here's the bad news. You and I will face temptation our whole life. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Satan has been defeated. And so we now can say no to sin, and I'll say a little bit more about that, but we're still looking to that presence of sin being delivered. Are you with me there? Aren't you ready for that to happen? But God says for those who continue to resist and those who trust, there will be a day when it will be over. Aren't you glad for that? I know some of you are just, your bodies are, are just, you just feel broken down and you look forward to that day when there's no mother aches and pains. Let me tell you, right now in my life, the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is when presence of sin is no longer. I don't know about you, but many times I just feel exhausted fighting temptation. Especially temptations that I thought I had whipped. Temptations that I struggled and resisted and I thought I was over with. Are you with me? Is anyone here like me? I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. It's difficult. But we need to trust that God's plan is being worked out. We need to pray for deliverance. 
The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to understand that even temptation is something that God leads us into to test us. And I've taken up the habit of each morning, Lord, today just don't lead me in temptation. <laughs> just make this a free day, would you please? Or make it a temptation that I know that I can lift and clean jerk. Lead us not in temptation. Recognize that we need to trust in God's sovereignty and testing and temptation. The second thing is you and I need to look to Jesus for power in resisting it. We need to look for power to Jesus and resisting it. Jesus prayed for Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might shift you like wheat. We're talking about the apostle Peter. He says, listen, Satan wants me to give you over to him so he can see what you're made out of. But I love this verse 32 of Luke 22. You might want to take this as your life verse. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you imagine Jesus praying for you? Hey, I'm praying that you will be strengthened so that you may not fail. Guess what? He's doing that already. The Bible tells us that he's our advocate before the Father. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Look to Jesus for power in resisting temptation. We already read that Jesus' examples gives us strength to resist. Not only Jesus, but all the saints. He says, because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely to us and let us run with endurance. And to consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I know that Satan hates me. I know that he wants to make my life miserable. You need to understand, the devil wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationship with your children. He wants you to keep focused on making money in your job and then destroy you totally from there. He wants to destroy your testimony. It's hard to keep running when you know that someone just wants to see you fail. But look to Jesus. Then thirdly, not only do we trust in God's sovereignty, not only do we look to Jesus, but you and I need to get in the fight. We need to fight and don't give in. Too many of us are coming up to the weight, getting down and putting our hands on it and say, oh, this is too heavy. That bar is too dirty. I, I don't want to stretch anything. So we don't even fight it. We just, oh, God knows I can only take so much. And we go right into it. Some of us, we pick it up a little bit. No, oh, I'm tired. And we give in. You and I need to fight and not give in. You and I need to fight with all we have. Hebrews tells us, in your struggle with sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Some of us are not even working up a sweat. So let me ask you, in your struggle with sin and struggle with temptation, are you taking the blows? Are you struggling with it? Are you fighting it? Are you shedding your blood? Are you ready to give your life to say no to sin? You need to fight your desires. James tells us when we're tempted, don't say I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and tempts no one. It says each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. So when God leads us and okays our temptation, he's not the one that's coming up and saying, here's this shortcut. The shortcut is within us. 
Satan just looks at our heart and is able to see what is it that we desire and then offers us that shortcut. Says, I'll give it to you. We need to fight our desires. The Bible says, guard your heart, for from within it is the life spring. So some of us need to look at our desires. Are we desiring the things of God? But many of us aren't. And we're like easy pickings. He says, oh, I got this in my toolbox. I'll give you that. I'll give you this. Then you and I need to fight against the lure of the world. Because Satan uses the world system, the world culture, and things like that to distract us, to paralyze us. He can't defeat us and send us to hell, for those of us that are in Christ. All he has to do is paralyze you. All he needs to do is destroy your testimony. All he needs to do is keep you focused on something else rather than fighting and serving God. So he has the world at his disposal. The Bible tells us, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I love this in the plan, the book called The Plan, Colin Smith writes this. He writes that you and I can be triumphant over temptation. How do I know that if we trust in God's sovereignty, if we look to Jesus for power, if we fight for sin, that you and I can be more successful and draw closer to God? I believe he gives us the answer here. He writes, Christ's triumph over temptation has huge significance for us. Adam's failure brought misery for us. Do we agree? That's all you and I seem to face in life many times is the misery of the curse. He passed on the effects of his failure to all who derive their life from him, which is all of humanity. By nature, we belong to Adam who failed. We share in that failure. We are under sin. But here's the power and the purpose here of Jesus' temptation. But Christ's triumph brings hope. As Adam passed on the effects of failure to all who derive their life from him, so Christ, the second Adam, passes on the effect of his triumph to all who draw new life from him. So those who have submitted and followed Christ, we have a new life. And his triumph is now passed to you and I. He writes, by grace, through faith, we belong to Christ who triumphed. We share in this triumph. We are under the grace of God. The weakness of Adam who failed is in you. So be on your guard against temptation, he encourages. But the strength of Christ who triumphed is also in you by the Holy Spirit. So when we are tempted, we can stand firm. There's some of you who believe that you couldn't do that, that you're going to fall each and every time. Let me share with you, before that was us, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. And some of you may be like that today, but let me tell you, it says, but the grace of God in His mercy has made us new. And so now you and I can say no to sin. We can break the power of sin. We can unchain ourselves from the shackles of Satan's promises and his temptation. John Piper writes that sin is what you do when you are not satisfied in God. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. There was never a time when Jesus was not satisfied in the promises of God. Some of you are really struggling with temptation and sin this morning. 
Maybe you are now even considering abandoning all hope of defeating it and you find yourself willingly embracing it and giving into it. This is the word I want to give to you, is do not despair. See, you think you're in this fight alone. But let me share with you what sin loves is secrecy. He loves for you to be alone and isolated and fighting it by yourself. But let me share with you real quickly. God has given you a community of believers to pray with you and to fight with you. Those are the one another's of each other. It says confess your sins to one another. Why? So we can gossip and know what's wrong with everybody? No, so that we can be praying for each other and that we can be healed there in James chapter 5. So we tell you, are you fighting sin? Are you struggling with temptation? And find you have a group of people here that want to do life together with you, who can strengthen you. You know, it's funny that the world, they've understood this. I think that's with the strengths of AA, Alcohol Anonymous, and many of the others, is that they stand together and see it. They stand together. That's the strength. It's the one that's by themselves that find themselves attacked by the devil. What does the Bible tell us? He's a lion seeking to whom devour. So we need to stand together, chain together, pray and fight together. We have the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was anointed. You and I have anointing of the Holy Spirit who strengthens us, gives us the power not to yield our members to unrighteousness and to sin and temptation. He gives us the strength to say no. He brings within our heart the beauty of God and God's promises. He gives us the strength to say no to the shortcut and wait for the real thing. Then let me share it. The last thing that he's given us is the word of God. Each and every time as we read the things that Satan tempting Jesus, what did Jesus use? The word of God. He says, no, the word of God says this. See, some of you are going to battle and you're not even grabbing this. To be honest, you don't know the promises of God. Porn is such a problem in your life because you don't know the promises of your wife. For some women, they all looking for the romance that's found in the novels and Fifty Shades of Grey and everything else, but they don't understand what a godly man is. We don't understand we're looking for the shortcut of money and our family to give us happiness, but we don't understand how we have happiness and purpose in our life. We don't know the promises of God, so it's easy to fall to the rotten fruit that Satan offers. We're lazy. We love shortcuts. That's Satan's way. Let me share with you today, you're not alone. you got the community of believers, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the Word of God. Do not despair. For those who are in Christ have defeated the works of the devil. First John tells us, little children, you are from God. And if you're here today and you've repented of dead works and you've turned and trusted in the works of Christ, he says, you are from God. And have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. However, for those of you who have not decided to follow Jesus, you are doomed to failure. You're doomed to failure. Here's God's promise, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with that temptation that God brings in your life, He will also provide a way of escape. We can say no, Satan. He's the defeated, toothless animal. He just doesn't realize it. So let's commit today. Would you fight sin? Would you fight the temptation? Would you trust? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment silently to yourself to pause, to pray, to consider, and to respond to what God may be calling you today. Father, a message that was dear to my heart, for I struggle with temptation daily. Father, I'm exhausted fighting sin. The shortcuts of Satan many times are so big and so large and so beautiful, Father, it's very difficult not to grab hold of them. I pray that you'd give me your grace to fight it, to resist it, to look to you. And I pray that you would give this same prayer to those that are with me this morning. Let us join together to fight this sin. Let us join together in praying with the Holy Spirit. Let us join together in using your word to see your promises, to see how beautiful and real they are. Lord, that we may defeat Satan as you did. And Father, I pray that you just continue that sanctifying work in us, that we may become more like you. We pray this in the name of Christ. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.